the Japanese Grand Prix has crowned a champion, Max Verstappen taking not only the checkered flag, but his second world title, dominating in the rain at Suzuka, a race that was filled with questionable moments with the running of the race, how points were awarded, the confusion on the championship, a last lap penalty, and the most serious, a recovery vehicle on the track in terrible visibility that really angered Pierre Gasly and many, many others, and it brought back one very, very bad memory. It's the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us for our Japanese Grand Prix. We're going to go over the race. We'll go over our team report. And we'll also talk about the cost cap news at the FIA released on Monday. If you're new to this podcast, I hope you enjoy it and I hope you will subscribe so you can get future episodes. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on the platform that you are listening to. We really appreciate it. It really helps us grow this podcast as we enter the final four races of the year. We'll have our off-season stuff and of course we'll get ready for season number three of the Overtake F1 podcast. So those of you who have been with us, we really do appreciate it. And again, if you're new, I hope you enjoy it. So this podcast coming down a little later, I wanted to wait to get the full finding of the FIA into the budget cap situation with Red Bull, Aston Martin as well. There were tons of rumors that both of those teams had went over the cap and the FIA did release its finding on Monday. So I gave it sort of a day to sort of process it. And that's why it's a little late to get the Japanese Grand Prix review. But nevertheless, here we are. So rain came down pretty hard on Sunday at Suzuka. So when the day was over, Max Verstappen had ran away with the Japanese Grand Prix won by a ton. And it was a day where the commentators were pointing out how points would be awarded based on how much of the Grand Prix they were able to get in. Because the race started on time, but it wasn't very long before some of the cars were sort of slipping and sliding on the track as everyone started on intermediate tires. Carlos Sainz went sideways, he crashed, and that brought out the safety car. Now, Max Verstappen started the race on pole position right next to Charles Leclerc, and those two got off off the grid, and it was it was very, very close going into turn number one. Max was able to use that outside line to get the edge going into the S's. But one lap of racing is all we got before the signs accident. There was a debris of an advertising sign that caught in the front of Pierre Gasly's Alphatari car. He had to come into the pits and everyone else was packed up behind the safety car. Of course, outside of signs who was out of his car as a recovery vehicle came onto the track to retrieve it. And I think Alex Albon at that time was out of the race as well. He had a radiator issue, but it was Gasly that we're going to focus on now. So he comes in to get the nose of his car fixed. He gets put on wet tires. He comes back out on the track. Now he was speeding to catch up to the back of the pack. And at one point he passes the recovery vehicle and he's going at high speed. He doesn't really see the recovery vehicle out there because the visibility was absolutely atrocious. So when the red race race was red flagged as the rain came down harder and harder and it got heavier, Gasly's in the paddock area and he's really upset. I mean, really upset. And at first people kind of don't know why, but then they start to figure out why. Because once we saw the replay of how he passed the recovery vehicle and actually how close he came to the recovery vehicle, who's on the track to get rid of Carlos Assign's car. But again, visibility being so poor, we start to see why he was so upset. The memories of Jules Bianchi from 2014 at the very track start to come into picture again for those of us who remember that incident. So if you're new to Formula One, Bianchi was a promising young driver and he was in line for the Ferrari seat. And at Suzuka in 2014, he crashed while a recovery vehicle was taking off another car. The impact that he made with that recovery vehicle was so severe, nine months later, he died. 
Bianchi was still fresh in many people's minds when you just saw, again, how little visibility there was with the recovery vehicle on the track and Gasly barely seeing it as he's flying up to catch the pack that was behind the safety car. Now, this was real, real outrage from a lot of people. I mean, you saw it on social media as soon as it happened. It was pretty intense among the drivers, too, as they were kind of waiting for the race to start up again. Many of them were asked about it. I mean, Jules father said the FIA didn't care about driver safety. Other former drivers on social media were echoing that sentiment. Current drivers wanted future discussions with the FIA on this particular matter. It was a very, very bad look for the FIA. Now, recovery vehicles are the norm. Them coming out to get rid of cars. And then we saw it at Monza, for example. Daniel Ricciardo's car needed a recovery vehicle and a recovery crane to, to remove the car from the track. That's normal. But what this situation was, was Gasly kind of going out there, just driving to get up. He was speeding and the FIA did cite him for that uh, because it was a safety car situation, but he's trying to get up to the back of the pack, but he's not aware exactly where the recovery car is. And should the recovery car come out when there are still cars in the mode of trying to catch up to the field, should the entire field be set behind the safety car before a recovery car comes out? Now at Monza, you know it, you see it, but in this particular situation, I think what the argument was, was not whether or not a safety car should ever be out on the track during these kind of, um, during, during the, the, the moment where cars are catching up. Cause if it's bright d sunshine and it's beautiful day, you can see the car. You can kind of sense the car. The problem was in those situations, in that situation when there was rain and heavy rain and visibility was poor, do you want to err on the side of safety, get everybody bunched together, make sure every single car that's on that track is behind the safety car going at a very reduced speed before you release the recovery vehicle onto the track. And I think that's where this was a terrible look for the FIA. Because again, if it would happen at any other track, if there was rain at any other track, you might have people bringing up Jules Bianchi, of course, because that's what happened to Bianchi in 2014. And then people might say, boy, that was awfully close to the situation at Suzuka, but it happened at Suzuka. Like at that particular track that you, sh that should have been at the, at the forefront of those who remember that incident in their mind when the recovery vehicle was on the track. Let's make sure every car in the rain, bad visibility are behind that safety car going at a reduced speed before we send out the recovery vehicle. All right, so the race resumed a while later as they were trying to get within this time window now. So we weren't going to run the full race in terms of laps. We were back to just like Singapore and just like Monaco. We were in this time window. And this is where it got kind of interesting. So all broadcast long, if you listen to, to Crofty, he kept see, you kept hearing that points were going to be reduced as the race was not going to be run in its entirety. All right, since it was red flagged after one stop. So Max is pulling away and my God, did he ever pull away? We're being told over and over again, though, that Max can't win the championship, right? Because he needs to be eight points clear of Charles Leclerc, who was running second at the time. And the reduced points finish would not likely give him the points that he needed to to pat to, to sort of have the edge over Leclerc all the way through and, and capture the championship. So that was in the broadcast the whole time. So as the, as the race was you know getting going and there was no other safety cars and no other yellow flags and everybody was kind of running fine and we weren't stopping it again, they kept saying, all right, we're going into column two now. And in column two, it's still not enough for Max to clear be cleared for the championship, but we're in column two. Max didn't even know he was getting full points for this race. 
when he crossed the line. And he crossed the line 27 seconds behind, ahead of second place. 27 seconds he won this race by. It's like he's in another machine, isn't it? I mean, seriously. Seriously. In fact, he didn't even know until he was in the cool-down room. And when he was told that he had won the championship, he didn't believe it. Right, The radio guys never told him. Christian Horner didn't tell him. Nobody told him. It was someone in the cool-down room that notified him that he had now had enough points. And he didn't believe it. All right, so since the race was finished with a countdown clock and not with the completions of laps, it was supposed to be in column two of of these points, of this sort of structured point system that they're putting together. But then it was announced later on that full points were going to be awarded. Now, for full disclosure, I watched this race in Nashville, Tennessee, in the United States of America. And this race started at midnight my time. So many of you listening around the world started at various times. But for me, it was midnight. I get a couple of midnight races a year. This was one of them. I stayed up late, but because of the rain delays and whatnot, I was pushing it. All right. It was like three in the morning. So, it, and, and there was also an NFL game in London that I wanted to catch a couple hours later. So as soon as Max crossed the line, I knew that there was a penalty for in, in the second place situation with Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez, but I took the word for it of the broadcasters, no championship celebration, no championship title. He's going to probably clinch it in Austin in two weeks. So I went to bed and I woke up and the first thing I see on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Max Verstappen world champion, Max Verstappen world championship. So I, I went, what? And I had to look it up. And sure enough, I found out the reason why. So basically the rules of this situation weren't really clear to those involved. Okay. So again, Max didn't know until he was in the cool down room. Red Bull didn't know until they found out that full points were going to be awarded. So there seemed to be a ton of confusion on this, but here's what, here's basically why. Since the race was red flagged and then resumed and then finished under a clock on the track, full points were awarded. Now, had this race been red flagged at some point and then not resumed, then you go to the columns. So you say, how much of the race did we get in? And then based on that, you go to the columns. So this became kind of confusing, but in reality, it seemed too simple to be confusing. I just explained it right there, right? If you finish a race under the timer, but you finish the race, meaning cars are crossing the line. There is a checkered flag being waved. There is a winner to this race, regardless of how many laps were run, right? If it was red flagged and we had to go to the timer, boom, we, we get full points. If you right, if you start a race and it's red flagged and nothing happens and that's it, timer goes zero, then you go to the columns. That seems simple enough, but yet it was confusing enough to everybody involved. So apparently nobody got the memo that this is how it's going to be run. And they had all that time to explain it to all the teams while we were just waiting around in a red flag situation after one lap. But remember, they wanted to avoid what happened at Spa in 2021. Remember that race? It was pouring all day and they, they had a great qualifying on Saturday and then they couldn't get a race in. They had some safety car laps. Nobody actually raced. And then they went, done, it's it, we can't run this race, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to award points, but half points to the top 10 from the qualifying from Saturday. That's how George Russell and a Williams ended up on, a, on the podium. So there were half points that were awarded, but there was no race that was actually won. And at the time, you know, some, you know there had been half points awarded in the past, but usually there was racing that actually occurred not a lot but there was racing in spa no race occurred and there were some drivers sebastian vettel was one of them that said i don't think this is right this is weird these are world championship points you're just giving them away for qualifying that doesn't seem that doesn't seem right 
So they created this column scoring to sort of alleviate that problem. Uh, but this, this wasn't a part of the situation. They, you know, full points were going to be awarded because the checker flag waved at the timer as it went to zero. So Max Verstappen is the world champion. Now, listen, when you get told you're the world champion, I, I, I never feel bad for you. I'm not like, Oh, I feel so bad that they stop. But Red Bull and Verstappen had known he was going to be the world champion at some point, right? If it was not going to be at Suzuka, it was going to be in Austin. If something happened in Austin, it's probably Mexico City. At some point, they're celebrating. He had, you know, he only needed to clear eight points over Charles Leclerc. It was, it was going to happen. But I'm sure they would have loved a sort of a more celebratory moment for that than finding out in the cooldown room and then celebrating later with the team while you're taking some pictures and doing all of that. Like that moment of crossing the line and knowing the championship was yours, that's what you want. That's the feeling you want to have of, of winning a championship. And nobody knew about it until after the race in the cooldown room that Max exactly was the king once again in this sport. So I don't feel bad for Red Bull and Max Verstappen, but I'm sure for them, it was like, man, would have been nice if, if somebody had known that they could have told him, you did it, man, you did it. But also, you got to remember, too, that the main reason Max Verstappen won this title was because Sergio Perez finished second because Charles Leclerc was penalized for cutting the chicane on the final lap. So Perez was on Leclerc's back for most of the final minutes of that race, right? Kept gaining and gaining. He tried to make passes. Leclerc would hold him off. Right behind him, Leclerc would fight back. I mean, it was a great battle for P2. Great battle. But Leclerc cut the chicane going into that final turn to the start-finish line, and he was penalized five seconds. Perez, because he was right behind him, ended up with P2. And then because full points were awarded, remember, Max needed to win the race and get the fastest lap. Well, he won the race, but he didn't get the fastest lap. So if Leclerc had finished second, he still would have needed the one point in Austin, but instead Leclerc finishes third, and that's enough points for Max Verstappen to be crowned the title. So Perez doing his job, which was force a mistake, force a mistake, force a mistake, actually helped Max win this championship. And to be honest with you, it remember in Abu Dhabi last year, remember when Lewis Hamilton was out to that huge, huge lead, and Verstappen was trying to catch up, and it was Sergio Perez who fought Hamilton like a lion, right back and forth, back and forth, just causing Hamilton to not be able to break away, and that was a enough for Verstappen to speed up and catch him. Now, again, that, that ending was controversial and it really, but th at that particular moment, if Max had claimed the championship, then, you know, Sergio Perez helped him again. So he's, he's a very good teammate in this regard. I know Ferrari was not happy though. The Leclerc got five seconds so quickly because Perez was given a five second penalty at Singapore, but that was after like a two hour discussion after the race. Leclerc's situation though was pretty clear cut. I mean, he did cut the chicane, but I understand the problem here, right? We don't want races in limbo when the checkered flag drops. That's I don't like that look. Now, if you penalize a team afterwards, I mean, think about Hungary last year. Sebastian Vettel finishes P2, but they find out he doesn't have a liter of fuel in the car, so he has to be taken, the P2 is taken away. This happens in motorsports in every level. NASCAR teams go through this. IndyCar teams go through this. If you find something after the fact, then you can come out later and say, hey, after further review inspection of the car or this situation. Yeah, we've determined that so-and-so didn't win or so-and-so didn't finish third or so-and-so didn't finish fifth. And then you adjust accordingly. The problem with Singapore is that the world media was hanging around, hanging around, hanging around to see if it was going to be more than a five-second penalty. Because the five-second penalty, Perez keeps the win. Anything longer than that, Leclerc got the win. And they were just waiting and waiting. They wanted to hear from Sergio Perez. And Matteo Bonato was pretty like, 
that's not consistent. Like I know the two penalties are different, but at the same time, he gets the benefit of talking and we get penalized the second we cross the line. It's not consistent, but I like the method that happened in Japan more than I like what happened in Singapore. I don't want a situation where every single time penalty is being discussed hours after the race. Like I, I said in, after Singapore, give the time penalty, let the, let it stand the way it is. And then if you want to, if you want to adjust it later, adjust it later, but don't leave the result in limbo for that long. And I think that's what they did in Singapore. And I don't like that. You can always go back and say, Hey, sorry, that's what hung, that's what they did in Hungary last year. So do it that way. I, I'd, I'd rather Leclerc know the second he crossed the line. Hey, you're getting five seconds for that. Sorry. You cut the chicane. That's it. He wins. He wins the battle of P2. And Singapore was a bit different in that they kind of knew a penalty was coming and they knew it would, could be about five seconds. So Ferrari told Leclerc to push to get into the five second window and Red Bull told Perez to push out of the five second window, get clear of the five second window. So both drivers sort of knew what the deal was. There wasn't like a disadvantage afterwards where Ferrari could go, oh, if we had only known it would be five seconds. We, they knew it was five seconds. They told Leclerc to get moving and he couldn't move. He didn't have the pace. So Max is world champion after a dominating season, and he does so with four races remaining. The series will run at Austin, Mexico, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi. It's one of the most dominating years in the sport. He had 12 victories. Michael Schumacher on two occasions and Sebastian Vettel in 2011 also had championships that clinched that early. So Max wants the 13 victories. He's got four races to get it. He's probably going to get two or three of those. Um, so this is one of the most dominating seasons that we've had from a Formula One driver. And we've had a lot of dominating seasons from Formula One drivers. All right, so let's get to the team report card real quick. We'll go over all 10 teams, and then we'll get to this cost cap budget findings from the FIA they released on Monday. So let's start with Red Bull, because it was a wonderful championship weekend. Max wins the title. Sergio Perez ran down Leclerc. He got second after the five-second penalty. A 1-2 finish for a dominating team this season. Charles Leclerc was the last driver not in a Red Bull kit to win a race. You got to go to July in Austria. That was eight races ago. Plus a summer break. So count that into the equation as well. Ferrari, though, tough weekend for the Scuderia. They didn't have a chance at the championship and they knew it. But you want to hold off the inevitable for as long as you possibly can, right? Leclerc finishes P3 after the five-second penalty for cutting the chicane. And Char Carlos Sainz was out of the race after going off the circuit on lap one, bringing out the safety car. Mercedes. Tricky day for them. Lewis Hamilton was fifth, but he couldn't get past Esteban Ocon. He said afterwards the car didn't have good straight line speed. George Russell finished P8, had a nice overtake just before the Dunlop corner. Both drivers finished in the points, but Ferrari still got a one-point edge on the day with Leclerc's P3, so now they trail Ferrari by 67 points. Now, Russell did question the strategy of a double stack. Uh, felt like he could have been running in the top five, but felt like the double stack set him back a little bit. They were right, though, to put him on inters when they did. I know, I know he didn't like that, but... Uh, in the beginning, but inters were the fastest tire, obviously, in those conditions uh, when the drivers could get them after the, the race was restarted from the red flag. McLaren, Landor Norris was the last driver to get a point on the day. He finished 10th. Daniel Ricciardo finished 11th. Norris was one of the first drivers to get those intermediates when the race restarted, but he couldn't stay up in the order. He started falling back and then finished basically where he started, um, but he did get that one point. Ricciardo had it up to 8th, but slid back in the order as well still said it was a fun drive very you know very complicated and 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 sort of tricky but he wasn't that disappointed i guess the way he's kind of rolling with it now i'm sure he's not really that disappointed 
But I thought Norris's quotes post-race were rather interesting. He just said, listen, it's scary out there. We have no visibility. We can't see. In, in these conditions, you, you're going 180 miles an hour and you can't see 10 meters in front of you. So he was talking about the possibility of like mud flaps on the tires to just prevent the spray that they're getting. I mean, they're getting tons of spray they can't see. Um, I'm interested to see if other drivers feel that way and would like to have something like that on the cars. I know it would change a lot of things aerodynamically and all of that, but Norris might be onto something that maybe there needs to be some sort of redesign so that the spray isn't so dramatic because I, you see the onboard video and it's like, how, how do they not crash into everything around them? I mean, no, that's the best drivers in the world, but it's insane how much spray is coming up. Um, Alpine. All right, so we talked about Ocon. He was able to hold off Hamilton. He earned a very, very nice P4 on the day. And Fernando Alonso finished in the points. He ran P7 because we got to get to him because in order to get to him and how he finished, we got to go to the next team, and that's Aston Martin because Sebastian Vettel finished P6. And it was a great finish because he beat Alonso to the line by one hundredth of a second. It's also the final run for him at one of his favorite circuits. And boy, the fans really, really gave it to him. A huge thank you. You saw signs like that all week weekend long saying uh, thank you Donka Seb because of what he has meant to Suzuka over the years winning there a number of times the fans loved Sebastian Vettel and he loves him back uh, it was a great battle between two former champions I mean just coming in line it was just an epic finish Lance Stroll who took a daring line at the start of the race right off the grid he goes to the wall which was incredible how he hung it there hugged that he ended up finishing P12 uh, Williams. All right, let's give it up to Nicholas Latifi lost in all of the controversy. Nicholas Latifi finished ninth, a points finish. Well done, Nick. Alexander Albon though was done after the first lap. He had a radiator problem and he retired from the race along with Carlos Sainz. Those are the two retiring cars from the Japanese Grand Prix. AlphaTauri, Pierre Gasly was the last car to finish the race P18. He did have an issue early with the debris on lap one and then was really shaking after nearly colliding with the recovery vehicle. And then he was also penalized, of course, for speeding. That added to his problems on the day. Yuki Tsunoda finished P13 in front of the home crowd. Mick Schumacher and Haas finished P19 and Kevin Magnussen 14th, but I can't remember anything they did, really. I'm sorry. Alfa Romeo, it's disappointment for Valtteri Bottas. That continues. Remember when he would get the car into points? Yeah, yeah, me neither. But seriously, he hasn't finished in the points since Canada. Canada! When was that? This was supposed to be one of the veteran drivers the team needed in a new era where cars were going to be more competitive and the midfield was more open than ever. That hasn't really played out. Joe Guan Yu finished 16th, spun on the first lap, stayed out longer, though, on the wet tires. Fernando Alonso did as well. He did lose spots when he finally came in for those inters. So that's our report card for the 10 teams at the Japanese Grand Prix. Now, as I said earlier, we like to get these out within a day or so real uh, of the, of the race, try to get them out on Monday or Tuesday when the race is completed. But I wanted to wait because the cost cap findings by the FAA was coming down on Monday. So I wanted that and I wanted to process that and I wanted to add this to the podcast. So the FIA has confirmed that Red Bull has breached the sports cost cap in 2021. No punishment, though, has been determined. And that, as of this podcast recording, we haven't gotten anything. That could change quickly. But it does feel like it's going to be a pretty long process as Red Bull and the FIA are going to sort this out. But something is sure to come down for Red Bull. The described breach was a minor overspend which puts the amount up to 5% of the $145 million cap last season. 
Now, this was the season where Max Verstappen won the title by the slimmest margins over Lewis Hamilton. We all know how that ended in 2021. Now, 5% of 145 million is 7.25 million. It doesn't mean that Red Bull went at 7.25 million. It just means that minor overspend is categorized up to 5%. But $7 million is still a good chunk of change. And if indeed they're around that figure, that's still very, very significant. So again, that's not the amount they spent, but it's in the window of that, of that about a money. So, Red Bull is surprised and disappointed. That's the release they put out because, and that's really not a surprise that they said that. Of course, you're going to say that because you want more investigation and you want more time to explain yourself and you want more time to sort of say, Hey, let's talk about this and let's show you in depth what we submitted and why you have your findings and why we have our findings. Nine of the 10 teams were under the cost level. Aston Martin was under the limit, but they compl- uh, committed a procedural breach. Red Bull was the only team in 2021 to go over the cap, but they said their submission was under the budget cap. So they said what they submitted was under the budget cap. The FIA said, no, you're the only team that went over. Now, some of the teams like Ferrari, Mercedes as expected, and others really, really want a strong punishment here. And you can see why. And listen, I know there's going to be apologists out there for Red Bull, but, but hear me out on this. What's the point on having a budget cap in the first place if the punishment isn't going to be any deterrent for the gains that you can be made if you overspend? All right. If you're a baseball fan in America, it's it's similar to the luxury tax, right? There are teams like the Yankees that want that would be more than happy to pay the luxury tax if it means getting certain players on their payroll, right? They've got the money to do so. Formula One doesn't want to do that, right? They want to keep the sport competitive. So if the big teams like Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari that have money, Lawrence Stroll and Aston Martin, if they want to spend over the cap and the worst that's going to happen to them is a fine and a public reprimand. But in the end, nothing is going to happen to them in terms of their cars on the track and the results on the grid, then they'll do it. And social media can scream all they want. Cheaters, 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 but nothing will happen to them. And then other teams with money will just do the same thing. And next thing you know, there's no cost cap. What's the point? Again, if all you're going to get is just, hey, don't do that. We don't like that. And maybe a fine. What's the point? But the reality of it is what people want who are on the anti-Red Bull side is for Max Verstappen to be stripped of the 2001 championship. Remember, the championship is won over the long haul. It just so happened in 2021, Abu Dhabi was where it was fought to the finish. But in order to get there, in order to get your car and your team in a position to win the championship, you had to win races here, come in second here, get a points finish there on an off day, all of those things. So the argument isn't, did it help him at Abu Dhabi pass Lewis Hamilton on fresher tires? That's not the argument. The argument is, what if this overspending resulted in a car that was able to get P5 on a day where he should have been outside the points or P2 on a day where he should have finished fifth. If those are, those are the arguments, right? So does the Red Bull car of 2021, did it benefit so much from the overspending that it allowed Abu Dhabi's situation to exist in the first place? That's sort of the argument that you're hearing, but it's going to be irrelevant because FIA is not going to do that. I don't think this is serious enough to take the world championship away from Max Verstappen. I'm not going to deny $7 million is a lot of money. And here's the other thing too. 
there was this report that's been going around that, well, it's not on the technological advances that they spent the money on. So it was, they overspent on catering and they overspent on holiday pay to their employees. That's where the overspending is rubbish, absolute rubbish. Cause it does not matter where you overspend. If you and I are going to spend 145 million on something and then I come back and I'm 5 million over and I go, well, I bought more lunches for my employees. You could come back going, I bought lunches for my employees and I was able to complete this project in 145 million. What did you do with the money that you didn't have to pay for the lunches I paid for within my budget? That's the problem with that argument. And I can't believe people are using that argument. To say that that Red Bull went over because they spent more on catering and more on holiday pay, well, that means they didn't have to use the catering and the holiday pay within the budget that they had, right? Other teams paid for catering, other teams paid for holiday pay, and other teams fell fell within the $145 million budget. So because you went over the cap, it means you had more money to spend on aero testing, possibly, or better equipment, or a better, another engineer or two. Remember, $7 million could hire 70 engineers at $100,000 a year. That's how much that is. So don't give me, it was, it was food on the catering table, and a couple of guys got to go to Jamaica for the winter. I don't, that's not what's happening here. That's not the argument. If you go over the cap, it absolutely is irrelevant why you went over the cap because it meant you were able to utilize more of the cap money to other things when other teams allocated that same money for the things you went over on. This might be the dumbest argument that I have heard in this whole matter. Right. It's just, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So again, we'll find out more as what's going to happen in Red Bull as I think it's going to take a long time because I think this needs to be really looked at in finer detail. And I think Red Bull is going to make their arguments and the FIA is going to do more of an investigation. So don't expect a quick resolution to this, but Max Verstappen is the 2021 champion. I know there's a lot of controversy. This adds to the controversy. I'll be, I'll be interested in five years, five years. When we look back on somebody doing some documentary on this, how this particular part of the story is thrown in there besides the Michael Massey situation and all of that, how the Red Bull going over the budget, how that affected the 2021 season. Okay, a couple of other driver news that we want to get to before we wrap up the podcast. Congratulations to Pierre Gasly. He'll be running at Alpine next season along Esteban Ocon, two Frenchmen on a French team. I fantastic. Great, good, good for him. Um, he is now on a very good team in Alpine um, and out of AlphaTauri. And also Nick DeVries is going to be in Formula One next season. He's going to take over that seat at AlphaTauri, riding uh, next to Yuki Sonoda for that team. Congratulations to both of those drivers, one moving on to another team and the other one getting into Formula One for the first time. I think the Williams seat still needs to be filled. And I think Haas, they're working on negotiations with Mick Schumacher. So that should sort itself out. We'll be back next week for a preview of the U.S. Grand Prix. I'm so excited. I'm actually going to be attending that in Austin. I leave on Thursday. So I'll have a preview of that and then I'll have a review of that uh, the following week after it is over. Four more races left to go. A reminder real quick, share the podcast, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, anything that you can do to help us out. We really do really, really appreciate it. Find me on Twitter at Tony D Radio. You can also email me Tony D Radio Show at Yahoo.com. I'd love to hear from you and your feedback on this podcast. I'm Tony Desiri and this is the Overtake F1 Podcast.